one, two, three, four, five, and we're good. Welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. This is episode nine now. We've been doing this for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, we'll get the number of months wrong this time. It's just, uh, four, no, so two, two months and one week. There we go. <laughs> Last week, I was oh, so off. Just so well. Teaching people how to use calendars. Yeah, it's very I can important. It's real good. <laughs> I can add. Anyway, um, yeah, so <laughs> we're here, segment one. Um, let's see. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I uh, confessed before we uh, started this podcast that I really didn't have anything good for topics. I, I wrote a couple things down, but they kind of sucked. You said you had some ideas, so what, what yeah, was your. I... I um it was ironic because I kind of I woke up today I was like man this would be possibly a good topic but I don't want to like step on Kaiser's toes at all so no 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 this is a two way street absolutely um so I was thinking about uh, morals being enforced in games uh, whether it's through multiple choice games like uh, The Walking Dead or Mass Effect as we talked about before um. Or it's uh, a single, um, you, you can't really differ from the plot, like in Spec Ops The Line, mm. where you're kind of forced to be a bad person, you've kind of got to live with the consequences. Well, you, you still feel like a bad person for it, yeah. but it, it was technically your decision. <laughs> that's, yeah, okay, so that's that's good. So you're, you're thinking like, um, there are, moral choice, just for background for the people who listen and don't really play a ton of video games um a lot of games will have like a moral choice aspect to them or like you're saying there's two two kind of ways they can go they either have a moral choice system um and those can be handled well or poorly where you you choose throughout the game to do or not do certain things and that kind of reflects on your character and or your your gameplay in some way but then you have other Mm -hmm. games like spec ops the line is a fucking master class of a game where the the game follows a linear plot like the 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 plot points are going to happen but the game has you do some horrible things in it and then makes you feel guilty for doing what it told you to do (laughs) yeah i mean but even with the ones where you have a choice whether you do something right or wrong a lot of the time the plot does not deviate based on those like that change Mm. um so, like, for, with, with the... Uh, I don't want to go down the Mass Effect rabbit hole again. I'll choose a different... Um, the, <laughs> the Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure, no matter what choices you make, at the end of the episode, certain characters are always alive. Certain characters always die. Yeah, that's, that's a thing for Telltale Games. Uh, they mm. make the Walking Dead uh, video games, and they also make the... Oh, what was it? They do a Batman one. They did a yeah. They Kings... do some really bad. They do Minecraft and everything. But yeah. Walking Dead is the only good one. They did I a think. Borderlands. <laughs> no, the Borderlands one was actually pretty good. Oh, um, okay. I've never had much interest in Borderlands. I don't know. You'd think I'd love it because like the art style and things, mm. but the characters have just never grabbed me. The 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 first the the actual like main Borderlands games they're really just uh, running gun shooter looter kind of games. You play them multiplayer. You play them with your friends. You're not really there for the plot. It's kind of funny at times, but that's not really why you're playing the game. Yeah. Um, but then, Telltale took it and they made a actually really good story-driven uh, episodic 
thing out of it. I don't want to call it... I, I feel weird calling them games, because they're really... They're, they're, they're games in the same sense that, like, everyone's gone to the Rapture as a game. It, it's it's a walking simulator, um, where yeah, you get to make a, choices every now and again. Novel. Yeah, it's it's more along that line. But, again, they took the Borderlands setting. <laughs> they took the Borderlands setting, and they they made some, like, a compelling story out of it. Had some interesting characters and stuff. Um, and I will say, I, I really enjoyed watching the Telltale games series. And I, I don't think I've actually played any of them myself. I've watched The Walking Dead one from about three different people's perspectives. Mm. Uh, and it is a really thrilling story. It's I've played. I mean, yeah, it, it's a good book, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what it is. It's a good book. I've played through it all the way. Um, I think I, there. If they, I don't know if they made a fourth one, but I've played the first three. Um, the mm. one where you have uh, that the dude uh, I can't remember his name. Kenny. No, no, Kenny was the redneck. the The main dude in the first game is. Uh, oh. Um... Oh my God, I love that guy. Yeah, he was he was <laughs> such a good character, and like like the way they handle his yeah his stuff and it I don't know that's gonna come through my name. mic. But... I, I'm gonna look this up while you bottle. So I really enjoyed the storyline, uh, like the first one where he ends up meeting up with this uh, little girl, and he's trying to keep her safe and keep her alive, and um, Lee. Hmm? Lee, Lee. That's what it was. His name was Lee. And the yeah. girl's name was uh, Clementa. By the way, yeah. um, if I if I can deviate for a second, that's a really Clementine is a really good example of how to have a well written child character. Because a lot oh, of the times, when you have a, like a child in a movie or a book or a TV show, they're just placed there to give people a motivation to do something. Hmm. Um, and they quite often whiny and just generally can't help themselves. Exactly, in this case, Clementine. Don't get me wrong. There's some things that she definitely cannot do. Right. But there are other things where she excels better than an adult. <laughs> like, well, that's that's what they did. They they took a like a really well developed. They like this this girl probably lost her family. She has like one thing to remember them by. Yeah, she, did. Um, she knows that she's a burden to these people and kind of does her best to stay out of the way. But there's moments where she's still a child, um, and mm. still has that just like hope to find a parental figure or something like that it's yeah. it's a very compelling story but you're right and you definitely um, see a progression in her character you definitely right. see her growing up well and she she's an adult by the third game and actually ends up being one of the major characters mm. um but yeah to bring it back to what you said they definitely do not change the plot significantly no matter what choices you make in the game like some uh, things will change like maybe a character will like not like you and they'll have like a line of angry dialogue but the plot basically telltale games is masterful at giving you choices that appear meaningful but do practically nothing exactly yeah it gives you a real like a, 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 in the heat of the moment you completely forget all that and you're like oh my god i can't i can't go without this person i have to save this person right it, and exceptional yeah, writing ridiculous exceptional writing and i oh, you yeah. said we, we don't want to go down the mass effect track again but the only thing i will say is mass effect uh one two and three all the way up to the ending is an amazing example of the plot actually changing and deviating somewhat like in significant ways and the gameplay too 
depending on what choices you make. Some people will be alive or dead. Some factions will be hostile or allies. Like, yeah. it's I not. Mean, I kind of see it in the same way because it's it's um at, at the end of the day, it, it, again, it comes down to instead of in The Walking Dead, it's keep one person alive or the other. In uh, Mass Effect, it generally it's keep one person or group alive and mm. say heck you to the other. Um, I I can see that, yeah. But it does definitely impact the actual because in in Mass Effect there's actual shooting gameplay, and so the choices you make do actually affect the assistance you get. Yes, yeah. different groups give you different things, as I recall. Yeah, there, in Mass Effect uh, Two, it's entirely possible to get your entire crew and yourself killed. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, it's very it's a lot more tangible in Mass Effect. Yeah, um, maybe a little less emotionally gripping, but uh, it depends yeah, on how invested you are in the characters. Game. I, I, yeah. I've played those games so many times. Like all of those characters are just like, oh, Rex is my boy. Is that the uh, Krogan? Yeah, that's the, that's a big dinosaur dude. Uh, I do love him. Literally my favorite character in that entire is series. Is he British? No. No, he talks like Shepard. The, the, he's a sniper or something. Uh, there... Who am I thinking of? I don't think there's a British sniper. There is uh... There is a British character in the third game. Uh, but she just, like, is your, your tech person. She's not actually, uh, uh, like, a playable person in the game. Uh, I could think, yeah, it's like a stony face. <laughs> I, I'm looking things up again. I'm sorry. I hope this doesn't come through on the audio. I, I can hear the uh, keyboard. Garrus. Oh, Garrus. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, he's my favorite. He boy. doesn't have like a British accent, though. Doesn't he? It's been many years since we played it. Yeah, I don't think he has a, unless they patched it for the UK version. <laughs> it just seems like a tea-drinking motherfucker. He, yeah. He he's another uh, really good character. <laughs> I I wasn't like a huge fan of him in the first game, but he really came into his own in the second one. We're going off on Mass Effect again. We were yeah, talking yeah. about uh, this is why I was trying. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. We're so we're talking about like morality in games, like in mm. specifically how the game tries to either let you have your own morals or how it tries to push you in one specific direction. Yeah. And Spec Ops the line. Should... Oh, sorry. I was about to say, maybe we should go to Speckles Line, because that is a yeah. game that we both found. Uh, it was actually recommended to me by you, yeah. so I played it, and I played it again, all the way through another three times, because I think I was trying to bend the, the the morality of the game and be like, I don't want to click here, um, because I know what will happen Yeah, if we go on. So, to give a quick pl uh, plot synopsis, and um, I will emphasize, like, skip ahead five or ten minutes if you uh like if you actually care about the plot because some of the the twists in this are just gripping so it's a brilliant game and i would recommend you play it but if yeah. you're not the kind of person who plays games then yeah just so <laughs> in, in in terms of like um gameplay it's just a v generic like third person like shooter like you're playing as this special ops guy uh, from the U.S. Army, he's going into Dubai. There was some kind of a um, massive uh, ecological catastrophe, and some U.S. relief force went in, but they lost contact with them. No one's had any contacts. You get sent in there with your team of like it's you and two other dudes. And gameplay-wise, again, very generic shooter. But 
slowly over the course of the, the uh, over the course of things, like your guy gets more and more like seemingly mentally unstable. I guess he's um, he's doing more and more fucked up things, and then there's like this big revelation at the end that you actually were the one that did all of this. Like you were the the people that went in there in the first place, and you've set up yourself as this uh, sort of um little king of this chaotic world like this that's been created by this this city being completely isolated um and like the game reveals it slowly until like a big crescendo at the end where they they actually show you and it's like boom this is what's actually been going on the whole time hmm. um but excellent excellent story if it, it follows along it's the um heart of darkness uh the book um, and I think was later remade into a movie uh, that I do not remember the name of that was set in Vietnam. Oh. Uh, but it, it, it's, an, it's an older book. The so Heart of Darkness is a book about a similar thing happening, uh, but it's set in the 1800s, and it's a British expeditionary party in Africa. Hmm. Uh, but exact, pretty much the same plot. But yes, the, the way I kind of see it is it, if, if Call of Duty got deep, they stopped with all the stupid high-tech gizmos that no one really gives a damn about and actually got morally down dirty. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I know I kind of like went around and around with the story a little bit, but the, the oh, driving... Kind of a, that's kind of the story. Yeah, yeah, no, but, 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 but driving home the, the morality point is the game... Like, the game tells you to do things. Things that you would do in a normal FPS. It's like, oh, use this weapon on these enemy targets over here. And it turns out that you just firebombed civilians with white fo uh, white phosphorus. Mm. Um, which is, if you don't know what it is, it's an extremely, like, brutal weapon. That I, I think is actually banned now. Because um, oh, yeah, it essentially yeah. melts people alive. And, uh, anyway. Um, uh, but, but the game... <laughs> the, no, come on, let me finish. The game, the game tells you to do things that you would do in like another generic first-person shooter or third-person shooter, like a war shooter, and then makes you feel guilty for doing it. Like, it, it's... On the surface, it's a generic um, shooter, but beneath the surface, it's like this psychological game that really messes with you. Alright, that's it. Summary over. What were you going to say? I wasn't trying to interrupt you, I was just trying to say that's a bit, maybe a little too brutal detail. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, there's that, and then there was, what was the other game I... Um, Deus Ex? Oh yeah, Deus Ex. Well, the original one, or Human Revolution? Uh, I'm talking about the only good one. Oh, so the original one. Uh, Human Revolution? Okay, nope. So Human Revolution... There are four games. There's Deus Ex... Deus Ex Invisible War, Deus Ex Human Revolution, and then Deus Ex Mankind Divided. The two yeah, modern ones are Human Revolution and Mankind Divided, yeah. Um, because I, I consider that the good one, because although it had a terrible ending, as we've discussed before, <laughs> um, yep. the actual like combat and stuff is really fun, and it gives you an option from the beginning. Do you want to go in deadly, or do you want to go in uh, tranquilizer? Like on all the enemies, yeah, and you can use both by any means, but uh, it's it's kind of like a completionist thing, I suppose. If you take the uh, less than lethal route, because obviously 
enemies can get back up again. But there is still the moral quandary of you're not technically killing all these criminals, you're just sending them to prison like a good law enforcement agent would do. Yeah. And but the, uh, the deadly approach, which you in the game still don't really get punished for except in certain situations. You can complete the game either way and still things will work I, out relatively the same. It's it's really your own headcanon. Like hmm. do you feel morally there are, justified? There are points in it where if you get through like a whole um area without killing anyone, when you finally talk to the boss at the end, he's like but you didn't kill any of my men. I'm going to be a lot easier talking to there, than if you yeah. just murdered your way into here. There are, um, yeah, that's true. There, there are in-game consequences to, you know, you're, you're, it's easier to talk somebody down, like, at the end, if you didn't murk all of his people. Yeah, but it is easier to get to him if you do just murk all of his people. So exactly. It's, it's that weighing up of the two. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it's very limiting. It, it's kind of... Yeah, to, to, to be morally righteous in that game makes it a lot harder, which I think is a really good payoff, because um, it is a very real challenge. You can't use any explosives, you can't, like, bear-hug people through walls. Yeah. Um, yeah, what were you going to say? Well, I was just thinking of other games that have done something similar, and but not as well. Um, and okay. I think a really good example of that is... Uh, What's it called? It starts with a D. Um, I was going to say Metal Gear Solid. I haven't played that game. Uh, they do the same thing. Ah, okay. Uh, it's not the D. It's um, uh, it's the one. It's like uh, crap. It, you're in like a pseudo medieval place. You're an assassin. We're not really an assassin, but you're framed. Divinity. There's rats everywhere. Um, crap. What the hell is that game called? Uh, Talk about something else while I look this up. Okay. That's the theme um, of this this segment. I think that's what I'm going to title this segment. Talk about something else while I look this up. Because we okay, well, uh, moral games that we've been playing very recently that we played yesterday was um, uh, Among Us, which isn't really a moral game. It is kind of a moral game because I feel morally bad after playing it. Well, only if you get to be the uh, imposter. Because someone, the moment someone accuses me, it's it's a big like. Okay, it's big big on trending at the moment. It's this old game people only just picked up because people have started playing on YouTube and Twitch. And um, Dishonored. I, uh... It's called Dishonored. Okay, cool. Oh my god. Uh, didn't I say that? No, I said Divinity. You did. Um, and yeah, so someone, the moment someone accuses me of being the bad guy, I jump down their throat so hard. <laughs> I'm like, it's this person. It has to be. Yeah, you and overcompensate. Then, it kind of gives you away, though. No, no, no. When I was innocent, there were two occasions when I was completely innocent. And even the time when I was guilty, when people said I was using vents, I never used a vent. And people kept accusing me of using vents. <laughs> and so I was furious. <laughs> and I'm like, this person's a liar. And then it turns out they were lying. And then that just screws the whole team. <laughs> Because um, I can be very passionate about my views when I'm uh, being accused on games. That's um, what I, I found that my success... I never got accused even once, and that's most... No, you didn't. You were typing stuff like, I want to make cookies into the chat while everyone else was accusing murder. Yeah, exactly. That that was my strategy. It was just, you know, I'm just gonna say nonsensical bullshit. 
Yeah. Or like somebody somebody said like I I have suspicions for no one and I was like I have many suspicions for everyone. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> it was you just... were like, I'm powering up and you're like powering up for murder yeah exactly I just said like goofy <laughs> shit like that the whole time and no one ever suspected um, me uh, to be fair people I don't think I ever got thrown out of the airlock no I tried to I throw you out when you were the imposter because I figured you out yeah. but I didn't have enough yeah, votes I got you to kill two people for me <laughs> yeah god I trusted my uh, friend it blinded me to the monster that he had become and then my new friend killed my old friend. God damn it. So, um, but bringing it back, now that I know what game I was talking about, Dishonored does something very similar to Deus Ex, but more poorly. Dishonored's the one with the two, the brother and the sister, right? The That's Dishonored 2. Oh, okay. So Dishonored 1, it's just the guy. Um, and he yeah. was actually her bodyguard, not her brother. Um, oh, okay. I've never played any of the games. I've just seen little. I've only played the first one, and uh, that was enough for me to not want to play the second one. The, the gameplay is yeah. a lot of fun. Similar thing where you have objectives on a map. You can you have a lot of different ways to go about it. You can be all lethal or all stealthy or a little mix of both. You know only. But the problem is, this game it has a good and a bad ending. So you have to either be 100% stealthy or, well, not 100%, but close enough, or 100% lethal to get one ending or the other. It, Deus Ex almost is helped by the fact that it has an ending Tron 5000 at the end where you just push a button and get the ending you want. Because yeah. all of the moral choices in the game are kind of just all... Like, there's some limited gameplay benefits, right? But it's mostly in your head. Yeah, like, it's supposed to just get to the end. Yeah. So, with this game though, it's it doesn't do that. The game has a like a moral choice system that it doesn't tell you about, and then judges you about at the end, which yeah. could be good, could be bad. But once the, my problem is once I like that 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 occurred to me that this there's probably going to be a good ending if I just go. I just did 100% stealthy, and not because it was the more natural way to play it. You did 100% stealthy. I, well, I wanted the good ending. It's not how I would have played the game had I known that. I probably would have, um, I probably would have shanked a few more people. There exactly, are... you would have loved to get just loud incarnate. <laughs> yeah, I do play stealth games every now and again. This it's... long silence hasn't been added in. This is what it genuinely sounds like. <laughs> is this you being surprised that I actually do, you know, occasionally do some well, stealth? yeah, because, I mean, whenever you play a game, it's either shotgun or heavy machine gun that you take. <laughs> There's no other option on your screen. Ah, uh, they are my spirit animals. Yeah. God. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, alright, well, we're, um, we're probably seven minutes away from the end of this segment. Any, any other games or stuff that, like... Alright, well, we've talked a lot about moral choices in games, and games that allow you to kind of choose and things, either to, to varying degrees. Either your choices do matter or they don't matter, and they're handled well or handled poorly. What about games, we've only talked about one, and that was a game that did it well, Spec Ops the Line, that kind of railroads you into one kind of moral mindset, right? Right. What's a game that's the opposite, that does the same thing, It railroads you onto one kind of moral path and does it very badly? Like, can you think does of it one? Badly. Okay. Um, 
thing is, I quite often like these uh, these, these moral games because it makes you it makes you think. Um, and so I feel like a bad version of that would just be you don't really feel any regret or something for the actions that you do. Oh, I've got one then. Okay. Uh, Detroit Become Human. I haven't played this. I've. Right. This is the the one where you're like look like a human but you're a robo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Detroit Become Human was a game that came out for the PS4. It's also like a pretty much like a, a story game. It's it's a game in the very, very narrowest sense, whereas you walk around and can complete objectives and there's occasionally quick time events where you have to hit a button really fast. Yeah. That's it. That's the extent of the gameplay. It's mostly story based, so I'm I don't really consider it to be a game. But Good. It followed the story. Follow it's like near future in Detroit, and um, basically there's a bunch of androids. Androids have been made. They've been made to look like humans, and they have taken over like most of the menial jobs, like you know, shopkeeper, mm -hmm. truck driver, garbage collector. Mm -hmm. um, so people... it's about civil rights, basically. Uh, yeah, and that was I think the first mistake is they made the game about civil rights because. Okay. It would have a cleaner and better way to go about it would have been to maybe go. One of the first things that you see people protesting about in the game is the androids are taking all the jobs, right? right. And so people are out of work. There's a lot more poor. That so they could have gone for a storyline about wealth inequality. I think that would have been maybe a little bit more apt. <laughs> but instead, the Andro they went for a very uh, you know civil rights kind of analogy. It didn't really work out too well. And one of the reasons it didn't work out too well is there's only one likable character. Right, yeah, because you play as three, don't you? You do. You play through as three people. One is a kind of uh, housekeeper slash nurse android who is this dude for this old painter. He's rich, but he's in a wheelchair. And so this, this android is like a housekeeper servant. slash yeah. servant, right? And the the... The old dude who he's this person too, he treats him like basically like a son almost. Oh, okay. I was expecting and, it to be a little way he No, no, no. He just treats him like a son, but his actual son uh, resents the android for it, and some stuff happens. The old dude ends up uh, dead, and the android ends up, you know, blamed industrial accident, and he gets thrown in the garbage heap. Um, gotcha. The it other. Like my little sister, whatever it was called. <laughs> Uh, Brave Little Toaster. I love that movie as a Brave kid. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Other android is this woman who, uh, again, like a nanny bot, essentially. She's like a, uh, what is it, like a housekeeper slash babysitter for this guy. Single dad has a daughter. Um, okay, sounds very similar to the first one. Similar, except the dad is like an out of, like he's unemployed he spends all his time drinking and like huffing on this future version of crack and mm -hmm. um and is mildly abusive well he varies between mildly ab abusive and very abusive and okay. um then the third person is an android employed by the corporation that makes the androids and he essentially is sent out to take care of androids that malfunction either by like essentially like the, it's the very first mission in the game this android has to talk down an android that's gone crazy and has taken a little girl hostage and okay. um like killed her father and presumably her mother too or it may have just been her father 
and then he's like so on. Always play as an android. You always play as an android. All three characters are androids. The problem is now it's a really good setup. I, I think they could have done something with this. The the corporate android guy is actually the most interesting part of the story because he teams up with like this police officer, this detective that has like hatred for androids and the police officer is like ordered by his superior to work with the guy and the two of them at first like have a very abrasive relationship but the the cop starts to warn warm to him and the android starts acting a little bit less robotic you know working together it's a really good it's like a really good plot line i really enjoyed it can i say this is like almost a carbon copy of a british tv program which i'll talk about in a bit okay okay well we'll talk about it in media um but that's that's the setup right the problem is two out of the three characters or two out of the three plot lines no three out of the three plot lines they shit on so and they do it in different ways um the one that that is immediately terrible is the guy who is the servant slash son figure to the old guy in the wheelchair that android has it's just immediately unlikable like he gets thrown out because he gets blamed for the the death of the old guy and he ends up in a garbage heap and they do this weird scene that i think is supposed to like horrify you and make you feel pity and sympathy for them because you're in a junkyard and some of the androids are still partially activated and but they're partially mm. demolished or something like it's meant to look like horrifying but in my they're, they're fucking robots i didn't i had no sympathy for them because they didn't right. build up they it happened too early in the game they didn't build up this thing in my mind that they actually have the capability of experiencing emotions they yeah, just I think that's the real divide isn't it yeah, well, let me so they they show that but they didn't build they, they didn't build it up enough before it to happen Second plot line, uh, the nanny bot, um, she takes the kid away because the the father goes crazy and nearly you know beats the android to death in front of the kid. Um, she manages to escape with the little girl and essentially kidnaps her. Um, unfortunately, you get to the end of the game and you find out, spoiler alert, that the little girl is also an android. And the father had lost his actual daughter and bought like an android replacement to kind of help him deal with his grief and so it went from a plot line of can a robot learn to love a human to well a robot's just loving another robot and it just it it derailed the whole thing there's there is some payoff at the end if you do things right and the the father kind of makes up with the both of them and you know looks like he's going to change the third plot line was the one i was the most but most bitter about because I loved the the RoboCop like dynamic the whole way through, mm-hmm. and at the end, you're forced, forced. If you take if you decide that you want to side with the the company that um, makes the androids and go like no they're robots let them stay robots. If you decide to go that route, which is the way I went, because in my head canon this guy was you know he was you know. He, that was his job and he was just doing his job and um if you do that you're forced to kill the other cop but so this this was what the game really lost me uh was though after on the the first guy's storyline the one that ends up in the junkyard i'm jumping Mm -hmm. all over the place here because i'm remembering bits and pieces pieces of this as i'm talking 
I literally there, there's a scene where you have to do a bunch of quick time events like you're you're that android who somehow becomes the leader of an android civil rights movement somehow he gathers a bunch of robots together and he essentially if he touches them he can transfer his code to them and make them suddenly want to rebel which yeah. to me sounded like a virus so he's out there infecting all of these other androids to make them march <laughs> right yeah and then like the police the riot police come out and they they go to try and stop these androids because they're clearly malfunctioning mm -hmm. and you have to do a bunch of quick time events to get the guy to essentially not die to the riot police yeah i literally put down the controller and went to my kitchen to make some food because i was like nope he's dying i hate that character like i am doing the world a service because he is infecting all of these other androids like we're like it's going to completely destroy the economy like no I, the only moral thing i could do was put the controller down and i did and it took like a solid five minutes of failing quick time events before he actually died like they really did not want this character like you to have this character die in the plot line right yeah but you can't have them all die can't you yeah yeah in different ways but yeah there's for the media segment i'm just gonna say i'm going to be revisiting this Okay. Sure. I'm just all I'm gonna say to to capstone all of that rambling. Okay. Is this game had a interesting premise? Three characters that on the surface had interesting like backstories. They somehow in the course of the game, through just really poor writing decisions, made me hate one of them so much that I literally stopped playing the game so that he would die and I could play as just the other two. Yeah. So. So you went from being a favorite to your least favorite? No, my favorite was always the uh, RoboCop guy. Oh, okay, right. So. I he was saying it was him that was having these decisions, but no, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It was the, the guy who took care of the dude in the wheelchair, the guy that got thrown out. He's the one that ends up being the revolution guy. Okay. And, um, I don't know. It's just... It's so ham-fistedly written that it just none of it, none of it meshed well. Anyway, okay. So that's the end of segment one. Um, unless you want to have any final thoughts, because I just rambled for the last eight minutes. Uh, no, that's right. I'm I'm just trying to keep the, the things that you said in my memory for in ten minutes time when we're talking about this again. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Uh, we're gonna wrap it up there. This is the end of segment one. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back soon with segment two of episode. Two, three, four, five. I, I really don't, I really don't need to count up on the second segment. I think I'm just. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back to the TMCJ podcast. We're now on segment two, media. Um, I definitely have a ton to talk about in this segment. Oh hell yeah! But uh, you you sounded like you wanted to um, talk a little bit more about. Um... Yes, from segment one. Yeah. Uh, sorry if you're listening to this two days later and you might have forgotten what we were talking about at the end of the last section. Um, but to recap, it was on a uh, it was on a game called Detroit Become Human, uh, where it's a social politics between robots, sorry, androids and humans. Um, the topic I wanted to bring up is a, uh, a British TV series that came out a couple of years before Detroit Become Human. 
And from the plot points that Kaiser has described, because I haven't played the game, uh, very, very similar plot to the TV series. Um, this TV series, when it was first advertised, it was advertised in the respect of it didn't look like a TV show. They advertised it like it wasn't, like androids were becoming an actual product in real life. Um, so I, I don't know if I, I can't bring a, I don't know, maybe Kaiser can link a video to it somewhere. But um, yes, the, the adverts for it originally when it came out were very real, realistic looking. They were, uh, the whole premise is that humanity has come up with these androids that help in day-to-day -day life in all forms. Um, so there was uh, a few a few main characters, much like in the game. One was a, uh, uh, a, a android that helps out around the house, and so it's, it moves in with his family. Um, and eventually it ends up that there's a whole bunch of drama between the humans and the robots because some of the robots start getting sentience, they start having emotions, they start not liking their lives in some respect. And this one that's uh, lived with a family, I think, ran off with their youngest child, uh, which was very similar to what Kaiser was talking about. Yeah. I don't think the child ended up being a robot, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was that. Uh, another. Um, main character that we follow uh, and this is a big old spoiler for the series so if you are going to watch it skip ahead a little bit uh, it's these two human detectives who uh, go out and track down androids that have been faulty and they're really nice characters it's a very good dynamic anyway after I think the first season or something it turns out that one of the detectives is in fact a robot as well <laughs> Oh my God. which is again very similar to what Kaiser was talking about on one of the characters. Uh, it sounds like whoever made this, the guy that made this video game was copying someone's homework. Right? It's very, this is why I was like, oh my god. And the, the third, the third scenario is very different. The third scenario is, um, and this is going to be a, a slightly, I'm not going to go into any detail, pretty uh, gruesome and a little bit shocking. The third robot, in this case, was a prostitute. Um, and she's like the first one to snap because she's fed up with humans being really quite horrible to her. Uh, and there ends up being this movement with the robots. And I think you're meant to kind of side with the robots because they're essentially the ones who are being um, used in the first place. But, I mean, they're robots, so... That, Kind of how mankind's always done things. A toaster is a toaster. It's got a function. Um, yeah. And yeah. there ends up being this virus kind of thing. Oh God! It really is where, the same plot. Exactly where their sentience to be transferred to another robot by uh, a simple data download. Um, exactly the same as. Oh yeah, God. so it's it was a really good series, very good. I recommend it. Um, I don't, I've been saying that a lot this this series, this podcast, but I think we've only been talking about really good movies and 
I mean, considering well. segment three last time was just a rant about things that annoyed us, like, we need to bring some positivity yeah, out into the world. It's, well, yeah, I mean, positivity, we're talking about things that are very dramatic and often sad in these, these well, films and games, but true. That, that makes them a good game. Well, exactly, film. true, but not, not positivity in terms of, like, you know, necessarily, you know, just a happy, you know, jolly old story, but, like... Mm. A, uh, a, a very a qual- a well-crafted piece of media. Precisely. Yeah. Um, yeah, a very, very realistic, quite quite chilling. Um, I think I think they're still releasing more series to it. After the first series or two, I think it kind of dropped in popularity. Is I don't know, they started repeating things. And the drama's not so new anymore. Well, but. You know, there's another series, which I haven't seen, um, that I think is... It, it followed a similar plot line, and it's the one that I heard compared to uh, Detroit Become Human quite a bit was uh, Westworld. Oh yeah, I've seen the Critical Drinker review this, but I haven't actually seen it myself. Yeah, I again, I've yeah, same same with me. I I heard a lot of good things, especially about the earlier seasons. I had coworkers that watched it, um, and they said great things about it. But similar plot line, an amusement park where they use robots to let humans live out like fantasies like uh like you know living in the wild west and they have mm-hmm. cowboy androids and stuff like that and um the androids essentially are either are or become something i haven't seen the series but from what i heard mm-hmm. similar thing they kind of start to pull some contrived plot points later in the series yeah they all seem to work for a business and it's not you're not quite sure whether the business is on the human side or the robot side by the end of it but the one that you're talking about, that sounds significantly closer to the plotline of the game that I played. Um, it's called Humans. Uh, yeah, I took a note, actually. You said to link it. I think I, I may actually link to the trailer that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite revolutionary in terms of TV. Uh, but yes, uh, another movie mm. that we've watched very recently, which we both highly enjoyed, which is a rarity, I would say. <laughs> Um, is Venom. Yeah, um, for reference, talking about the uh, the newest, um, well, Marvel iteration Marvel? of it. it yeah, because yeah, it's a Spider-Man villain, so it has to be Marvel. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Without any mention of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because the first iteration of Venom was in the original Spider-Man 3, where Spider-Man gets the black suit. Yeah. And in that iteration, Venom is just some dude that peter parker punched in the face but this this was a much better like version of him i think oh yeah it was um it might have just been because they wrote the story quite so well in this one i do definitely but this he's got so much more personality and character in this probably because they left out the fact that he's meant to be a villain well yeah um yeah they kind of made him good which is a bit well, he, they didn't make him necessarily good. They made him more of an anti-hero. He still bites people's heads off a few times in the movie. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. Quick plot synopsis. Again, um, you know, spoilers, so potentially skip ahead. Uh, but Venom, the, the, the plot of Venom, this guy who's a reporter, he's trying to look into, like, you know, he's, he's got this, made a big name for himself going after people, exposing them for doing, like, evil corporate things. Um, his girlfriend's a lawyer, and um, he gets a job to do an interview with this big-name tech giant guy who made this big startup company. 
he's essentially think like SpaceX, but if SpaceX also had a pharmaceutical division, um, and he's he's building up these ships that can go to um, somewhere or something. I, I don't know. Spaceship goes out. What what's really good? But the, this guy, you know, he suspects something's off because their their pharmaceutical wing has done some sketchy shit, and so he. Uh, a little bit unethically, sneaks onto his girlfriend's computer, finds some data, and then uses it to question the guy, and it ends up with him losing his job, losing his girlfriend, because you know, he used her to do that. She gets fired, and then dumps him. Um, and at his kind of, like, absolute low, he is just wandering around dejected. He sees, like, horrible things happening all around him. And then he gets contacted by this one woman who works in the lab for this uh, this pharmaceutical guy. And it turns out that they brought aliens back, like some alien goo from their last space mission. And that alien goo, this guy thinks is the next stage in like human evolution, right? It's gonna, gonna help them, you know, be able to travel the stars and be awesome. Anyway. This is the bad guy, by the way, not, not the main character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bad guy. The, the guy who owns the pharmaceutical company. I don't remember any of their names, sorry. No. Um, <laughs> the, well, the, the guy who played the good guy is named Tom Hardy, so I'm just going to call... The actor's name is Tom Hardy, so I'm just going to call him Tom. Tom hmm. um, gets contacted by this, this pharmaceutical lab lady who sees all the bad shit happening. Like, they're doing human experiments, people are dying. Tells this guy about it, sneaks him into the lab so he can look around and try and... Um, figure out what's going on he ends up getting um like this goo attaches itself to him and goes into his body and he starts having all these weird reactions to it he's hungry all the time he's like beat like eaten like a raw lobster and stuff like that um it turns out that this goo is sentient and it's essentially like a symbiotic slash parasitic organism that links itself up to him and it you know it starts talking to him and stuff and this is where the movie starts to really get entertaining, in my opinion, is every time um, the, the, the goo has some hilarious things to say. But finishing up the synopsis, he gets the goo, him and the goo, uh, the goo allows him to transform into this invulnerable like being, um, and him and the goo go off and try and stop this evil corporate guy who also has his own goo, which apparently wants to bring more goo monsters to the earth and basically infect the whole planet or something like that or take it over doesn't yeah, matter eat all the humans, basically. That, yeah that's what it is and they have a, a big apocalyptic like punch up at the end of the movie and you know they they prevail and he gets to keep his goo and the two of them are like you know sidekicks after that or something yeah Th that's... To, to put it more simply the main character gets Dwayne the Rock Johnson if Dwayne the Rock Johnson was evil inside of him and he's fighting. Uh, Wait, know. hold on. The Rock voiced the goo. No, 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 no. But like super strong, oh, okay. funny, and uh, because he's evil, he's uh, he, he also wants to like eat people's heads. Yeah, but, uh, that they... kind of like super buff up thing. Yeah, and they they do make him like out to be an anti-hero. Like, there's a point where there's a shoplifter, right? And he threatens the guy to get him to stop. And then he just kind of reconsiders. And then the goo eats him anyway. Can you imagine if Venom was actually the rock? <laughs> that that would have been... I would love that. That would have been absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. 
but, but no, it's a very cool action scenes. Yeah, and and some of the they actually the some of the dialogue between the the main dude Tom that Tom Hardy plays and the Venom goo. Venom. The, yeah. The, yeah, Venom. I don't know why I keep calling it the goo, but Venom <laughs> between Venom and um, Tom Hardy, like they have some amazing inner character interactions in that movie. Yeah, so much so that I burst out laughing during <laughs> the the fucking One video. Of the... <laughs> I, I'm very good at staying quiet, but that was such a funny moment that I lost it, and then Kaiser lost it. Yeah, it was. So what, one of the very first things, like you know, the Venom saves Tom Hardy, brings him out to like a platform, and this is when Tom Hardy first starts questioning him, and um, uh, Venom just like pops out and like is facing him, and he just goes, "You're a loser, Tom," or whatever the character's name was. And that was one of the parts where we both laughed. And then he explains, like, I'm a loser, too, or something like that. And then they, they were yeah, both... I didn't really get that part. What, I think the idea was that um, they, they kind of explain this a little bit. The goo that infests uh, the pharmaceutical dude, the bad guy, that is, like, the commander of a mission sent to Earth to go there and eat people, right? Yeah. But what happens and venom's just some like nobody on his crew like a, a like a tech or something essentially somebody who has no authority who's considered like a you know just a run a nobody and on their mission part of the forward attack party well that's the thing he was like so say the forward attack party is like a commander two lieutenants and like three foot soldiers venom was like the shittiest of the three foot soldiers but there were only four people no no there were four Right, I'm, I'm exaggerating the numbers, but that that was the way they explained. I'm not saying it makes perfect okay. sense, but that was how they explained it in the actual right. movie. Yeah, um, but now what the part I was referring to was the elevator scene. Yeah, where he calls him a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Venom wants to jump out of the uh, the top floor of a skyscraper, basically, and just get out of the building that yeah. way. And Tom Hardy's like, "No, I'm going to take uh, the elevator." Taking the elevator, and you uh, just hear Venom in the background, pussy. <laughs> yeah, there were there were quite a few funny interactions between the two of them. Yeah. I think that they were probably one of the best parts of the film. The interaction between this yeah. alien, uh, down to earth human. The the movie has a lot of dark humor in it. Yeah, and it doesn't. It especially for like movies based out out of like Marvel. Uh, properties, most of them are more mm -hmm. lighthearted and a little bit more like uh, even even the, when they have their darker moments, they're not really that dark. This movie doesn't mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't go that way. This this movie just it starts off pretty dark and it stays there, but it has like moments of humor and levity built into it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was as dark as The Punisher by any means. It was a lot less uh, visceral. Oh, yeah. yeah, not not but, nearly uh... that bad. Still, every time he like eats someone's head, it is a bit like, oh, okay, yep, yep, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> yeah, that definitely just happened. Um, yeah, the 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 female venom. Yeah, what is it? Very mixed feelings on that. Like, very very cool. Don't get me wrong. But when he starts making out with the female venom, and then it turns oh. human, I was like, yeah, that starts as an alien. That's weird. <laughs> I don't know if this is coming through my mic, but I so I have my window open, and I can somebody's having. 
Somebody's shouting at somebody else out. Like, I don't know if it's out one of the windows out here, but it's echoing down the canal. I don't think it's coming through the mic, but it's very distracting. Okay. <laughs> somebody's having a bit of a domestic dispute somewhere down the canal. Let's do it. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, no, the, the the part you're referring to when, when Venom, like, infects his girlfriend to get back to him or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but overall, recommend the movie. It's uh, it's pretty good, but be warned, there oh, is yeah. some, uh, some, some somewhat gruesome moments, and it is darker than your average Marvel kind of movie. Yeah. That being said, I would love to see him alongside the other superheroes. Like, that, it would be, oh my god. It'll never happen, because... He's too uh, gritty, but uh, what if only? Yeah, I want to see more films with him in. There was uh, so this is actually a neat transition into one of the things I wanted to talk about, and that's the fact that I have been binge watching. His... What? That's the main character's name, Ollie, because I remember from the very last scene after the credits. Okay. In the blood. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um. Yeah, so I've been, I wouldn't say binge-watching, but I've been watching the Marvel movies in order. Um, this this started because we watched Venom, and then I was, like, thinking about the other movies uh, that Marvel has put out, specifically, mm. like, the Marvel, quote-unquote, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where they have all the movies interconnected. Because when I watched those movies, like, I watched Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, and then the next movie I watched was Guardians of the Galaxy... Yeah, and then I saw Infinity War and Endgame, but I didn't see any of the movies in between. So I've been watching all of them, and I will say two things. Um, actually, that's not true. I watched uh, Civil War on an airplane, um, but so standout that I didn't think I would enjoy as much as I did was the Thor movies. I've watched the first two of those now, um, but the one I really want to talk about is uh, Captain America Civil War, which is a movie I had seen before, but I watched it again, and it reminded me why I disliked Captain America so much. I've not seen it. Um, I will say, uh, quickly, on, on Captain America and Iron Man, mm -hmm. they both had really good first films, and Iron Man, I would say, his first film was about as gory as Venom was. That's true. Like he yeah. was firing missiles and bullets, and terrorists, and there was blood, and there was, I think, even a little bit of torture. Oh yeah. Same thing with the Captain America uh, first film. There's a scene where Captain America throws a guy back into a jet engine, and he bursts into a cloud of blood. Yeah, that's that's a bit more. Too. I don't know. Maybe it's not. <laughs> I don't know. It, um, I, it's that's... less sensitive because it's instant. I think. Maybe, maybe, but I I think just but. For you, as the it's instant for the guy that got it, but for the audience, I think it's a little bit more uh, shocking. Yeah, but I mean, they way, brought up fucking Nazis in a Marvel film, so yeah, it's it's, uh, it's so, up there. So now I I've now seen the first two Captain America movies, and I kind of understand why people like liked his character a little bit more, because right. I first I only saw him in the Avengers films, and I saw him in Civil War when I saw that movie. So, mm -hmm. um, but the Iron Man movies, I loved. Iron Man 1. Loved it. Yeah. Iron Man 2, also very good movie. Didn't like it as much as the first one, but still very good yeah, movie. Exactly. Um, but when Civil War came around, like, that, that movie essentially pits Captain America and Iron Man and their separate factions of the Avengers against each other. Um, 
and what the conflict boils down to, without spoiling, because you haven't seen it, and you should watch it. It's a very good movie. It boils down to Captain America being a stubborn bitch and Iron Man being sensible and wanting to change with the times. Mm. So <laughs> that's my very biased synopsis of the plot. It's it's a movie that, I, I even after watching the first two... <laughs> Even after watching, I just saw the message you sent me. Yes, Even after sir. watching the first two Captain America movies, I felt more sympathy towards him in the movie, but I still feel that he was being a douche. Oh, really? Yeah. In, in what? Civil War? In Civil... No, yeah, in Civil War. Okay, well, I haven't seen Civil War, yeah. so I don't really... So, and... No. The the problem I have with it, without again, without spoiling anything, you'll you'll see the you'll see this when you watch the movie, but he he has this, like, just, in the very beginning of the movie, like, somebody calls him arrogant for his stance on the issue that's the pivotal point of that movie, and mm -hmm. calls him just, like, um, dangerously arrogant, and I think that ends up being true. Like, he, through sheer luck, ends up being right. Like, but I would say the same thing about Iron Man, though. I in some of the well, okay. What do you mean by that, though? Very arrogant. Yes. Um, so much so that it has put people in danger previously. Right. But he's always been able to fix it. But that's kind of beyond the point. But here is why I really like him and side with him in this movie, because by the time you get to the Civil War. Like, Tony Stark is older, he's seen world-ending apocalypses, he's had a lot of other stuff happen, and he's he's grown so much as a... Like, he starts out exactly like that. He's arrogant, he makes brash decisions, he doesn't think he needs everyone, he thinks everyone else is wrong, and he just goes his own way because, you know, he can sort things out. Mm -hmm. And Iron Man 3 is where they first start to kind of explore that idea, and he ends up, like, just basically losing function. Like, he has PTSD, he's... He's in rough shape. Does he? In Iron Man 3, yeah. He has this like... is the one with the amusement park, right? Amusement park. No. Yeah, when he makes the stock industry park. Nope, that's Iron Man 2. Okay. Which but, one was 3? Uh, Iron Man 3 is the one where there is a... He's made... He, like, he has a ton of different suits. Like He's made a billion Iron Man suits because he can't sleep because he has anxiety attacks. Right. Is that with Jarvis? Like, becoming a... Anyway. That you think that's, <laughs> sure a, that's Avengers Age of Ultron. I, I've watched okay. all of these now, so I know where all there the are too many bloody films. There really are. I didn't realize how many there were until I started watching them. But I'm getting yeah. lost in the weeds here. By the time you get to Civil War, Tony Stark has... Like, he's seen the ramifications of his actions and what happens when he really can't. Exactly. Which is why... The movie, to me, is about somebody who has seen things blow up in his face, seen where arrogance can lead and the danger and the damage that it can cause, mm. and he's trying to make it right, whereas Captain America still hasn't seen that happen, and, mm. like, he, he is still, he's still got that dangerous arrogance, and... Yeah. I would argue that that like throughout the movie the whole reason that they're fighting at all is because Captain America 
because of that dangerous arrogance, refuse to compromise. Um, I see. And, like, he's given every opportunity throughout the movie to compromise. He just doesn't. Because he, he is going to die on his moral high ground. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like the movie's plot, it gives him, like, it throws him too many bones. Like, he, on a hunch just ends up being right like two or three times throughout the movie when it was like a one in a million shot that he was actually right you know what i mean okay yeah no i i understand what they, you they use plot contrivance to kind of make him seem a little bit more sympathetic rather than actually mm. exploring the idea that he could go through the same arc as tony stark where yeah it could go either way yeah his arrogance causes um, problems anyway I was going to make it a little bit more recent. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you've heard a bit about the Black Widow film that's coming out. Yeah, I've I've heard a little bit about it. Um, it's supposed it's to take delayed. place. Oh, it got delayed, really? Because of what happened with Milan. What happened with Milan? Milan? Well, no, not Milan. Mulan. Oh, Mulan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you meant the country, Milan. <laughs> They're not Milanese people, no. Um, um, oh yeah. Yeah, they, um, there's a lot of worry about how it's going to end out because Black Widow is a pretty damn cool character. I don't think anyone can yeah. deny that. Well, um, but what with what's happened? Wait, hang on. Is it Milan that changed it, or was it the Captain Marvel controversy? Um, so there's been a lot of. Stress it may about have been the Captain Marvel thing. So, but th so here, here's my here's my hot take on this. Okay. They so in between we're we're talking about Marvel. In between Infinity War and Endgame, they did a Captain Marvel film, which I think was a terrible decision. Regardless of yep. who the character was, could have been a man, could have been a woman, could have been whatever, doesn't matter. That was the wrong time to do that movie because they essentially every person who saw it was like they're just retconning something. They're like they're putting a character in like all these you said there's way too many of these films. We've had, like, 12 films to get to know Tony Stark, Captain America, you know, Hulk, Thor, um, Black there's Widow, Hawkeye. There's, yeah, Ooh. there's at least a dozen. Even Spider-Man no had a couple... No one about Hawkeye. Yeah, well, yeah. Sorry. Even Spider-Man <laughs> had a couple movies to, like... But the thing is, but audiences know him because he's been in the movies. Mm. But what they did was, in the middle of, like, a two-part... Essentially a two-part movie, because that's what Endgame and Infinity War were in the middle of a two-part movie they quickly shoved in a brand new character um who no one knew had never been introduced there was just like and then they just decided like this character is going to be really important in the last movie what they mm, should have done very powerful yeah what they should have done was do the black widow movie then because that was the height of her popularity she's probably one of the more popular kids and i see what after watching captain america winter soldier like she is huge in that show like i don't know she is one of the best characters and i think one of the most underrated characters in all of the like the marvel movies there um so i don't think it has anything to do with the fact that it's like a female lead i think if they had done her as a female lead did a black widow movie in between those two movies to give her more backstory that would have been so what? much better what I meant by because it's the female lead, I 
Uh, so Scarlett Johansson yeah. has always been. She, she's never. She doesn't have any superpowers. She's not particularly extraordinary. She's not all that talkative. Um, but she is badass, and she is really good at something that she has adapted herself and practiced throughout the years. It's really yeah. the, the the small dog in the fight that has a lot of bite. She's, she is, um, dare I say it, a very well-written and well-developed character. <laughs> yep, and the, the reason that I brought up the whole femininity thing is because at the moment, people are, I would say, kind of fed up with um, female characters being portrayed as uh, a greater species kind of thing. Like, I'm trying not to get too political here, but... Hyper-overpowered, I know what you mean. Yeah, because of social standpoints. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah. it's an unfortunate time for this movie to be released, but I think as long as they don't... Uh, I, as long I've as they don't go the, into morals on it, I yeah. think it'll be an amazing movie. I, I've seen the trailer for it. it. I've seen the trailer for it, and I, I think it looks really good. Um... So yeah, you're right. Mm. If they don't if they don't dig too far into social politics, it'll probably be a really good movie cuz Black Widow, insanely popular character, loved her yeah. in all of the movies like and like I said, it, she's a character that like how do I put this? Like if a a character it's perfectly fine in a plot if a character is overpowered, but they have to get to that point. You have to show have them to yeah, yeah, exactly. They have to earn it. They have to, you know, go through some kind of a struggle, some kind of a, a growth pattern. The, the hero's journey, essentially. But not necessarily mm. a hero, because she's like a spy and an assassin in the movies. But yeah. you have to kind of... They, they have to have something that makes them interesting. The problem with characters uh, like... Um, uh, yeah, uh, the Captain Marvel is a good example. The problem with her as a character is... She didn't earn it. She just, like... She yeah. starts off the most overpowered and only gets, like, temporarily limited and then goes back to being the most overpowered. Yeah, I think... I, I haven't seen the film, but from the clip I keep seeing, hmm. she literally flies through space with no suit on and blows up about a whole army of battleships She's... just with nothing. Captain Marvel has the same problem, and we've talked about this on a much earlier podcast, and I've said this multiple times, the reason I hate Superman. I hate Superman for the same reason I hate Captain Marvel as a character. Both mm. of them are so completely overpowered and did nothing to earn it. Yeah, like, broken, as they, you would they, say in a game. Exactly, as you'd say in a video game, they're both broken. And there's no skill involved with it. Like, Superman, just he's just invisible. Or in, invisible. He's just invincible. Like, he yeah. can fly, he's got the laser beam eyes, he's super strong, he's bulletproof. Like, if he just yeah, decided to, he? <laughs> he could... Exactly. And it's the same thing with her. Like, aside from this a part of the movie where she gets, like, limited, she is just... I, I have seen the movie now, because I'm going through all of these. I, I'm committed to watching all of them. <laughs> um, well, did you get... Okay, now I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... But that that's that's her her character. Like she is just she's she's the Superman of the Marvel universe, and mm. I, I I dislike both of them for the exact same reason. 
they are crazy overpowered and did nothing to earn it. That's my final thoughts. Anything else you want to say before we end this segment off? Um, I was going to ask quickly, did you get um, Disney Plus? Because all the Marvel movies are on there. I did not, and I wish I had because I've been renting them on Amazon. I've spent like $30. Because <laughs> we we've, we've been discussing whether you're going to get Disney Plus for a few weeks now, and it's got all the Star Wars, all mm. the Marvel. It's probably maybe worth getting that. I probably uh, should because I still have to watch Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Infinity War, and Endgame to finish off my marathon run through all of the movies. Right. And um, Ant-Man, honestly. I wasn't going to rent that one because I didn't have a whole lot of interest in it. Oh, but Ant-Man is actually really good. Is it really good? Okay, I, I'll, I'll watch that then. It's very funny. I find it very funny. All right, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get a Disney Plus subscription this week and I'll cancel uh, yeah. it after a month or something like that. Because I wanted to watch just, The Mandalorian, too. Just on my closing thought, to be yeah. extra mean, I'm going to do exactly what I did in the first part mm. and say... Um, the, the, what we've been discussing, how like the best characters are the ones that have no abilities and they start off like you or me so we can actually imprint ourselves onto them kind of thing. Mm. Uh, that's why when I start a new... Dungeons of Dragons campaign. That's why I didn't start my characters out at level 5 or something. No. They start out at level 1 and they've got to slog their way through it. <laughs> because the funnest moments are when you are not powerful at all. It's when you have to really think to get past a problem. And you can't just be like, fireball! And then you uh, nuke the forest. Exactly. So don't give uh, Black Panther a fireball. Not Black Panther. Black, Black Widow. Widow. Wait, is Black Panther called Black Panther or is he something else? No, he is called Black Panther, yeah. Okay, that's going to get really fucking confusing. Wakanda. Um, yes. Uh, that, that's my closing closing thought on Marvel. <laughs> okay. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been segment two. Uh, segment three coming up today. Uh, as Blue alluded to there, I think we're going to be talking about some uh, Dungeons and Dragons a little bit. Um, but stay tuned for that. Otherwise, thank you again for listening. All right, and we are back with segment three of the TMCJ podcast. Um, Blue, you said, well, you suggested this and you alluded to it at the end of the last one. We're going to be talking about D&D this time around. Yep, uh, get your dice and your nerdy-ass books out, because you're dead. And for all you normal people out there, you can just go away. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> no, so, I, yeah. D&D, I, I want to, before, I assume you have something you want to talk about, before you do, I want to give a brief... I don't know, history lesson on my, on my part, how I even first started playing it, because as much as, Fair like, video games and stuff that I played in, in high school and stuff, I didn't really hang out in the super, super, super nerdy circles. I, um... Hmm. Like, I didn't start... Pl I had friends that played it, and I used to make fun of them for it. I remember pissing this one kid off a lot because I, I was like, oh, it's just a board game. He's like, it's not a fucking board game. Anyway, getting, <laughs> off, getting off there. But in college, yeah, yeah. Um, I had friends that did play it quite a bit. Um, 
one of my friends, Juan and I, uh, we got invited down to play an NPC, like just a non-player character, a random monster in an encounter. Mm. And um, oh, yes, we were that. promptly kicked out and not invited back. Because <laughs> you're being too hilarious. Yeah, and it just, it was, well, I'm not <laughs> sure if that was the reason. Um, the encounter went thusly. I got tangled in the weeds. I looked at Juan and it was like, avenge me. And he's like, okay, is it my turn? And our DM said yes. And then Juan points to one of our other friends and just goes, okay, I slapped the shit out of him. <laughs> yep. uh, that was the end of it. <laughs> um. But later, those that same group, actually, um, ended up being quite good friends with, and we mm. ended up actually playing games near our senior year of college. Uh, ended up being a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the... Uh, the gameplay mostly, but I've recently gotten more into the actual role-playing aspect of it, like actually playing yeah. a character. Um, so, I've always um, been more the RP side of it, and that hmm, I feel like that question, that that answer is actually kind of loaded. A lot of people have strong opinions on uh, RP. RP meaning <laughs> role-play, by the way. Yes, yeah, sorry. Um, it's well, well, okay. My introduction to D and D. My my father was a big um, fan of D and D. Growing up, he played it in school many years ago. In fact, I have one of his old um, school books where he jotted down like an entire adventure bit, basically in this in this book, all in like pencil, very neatly drawn out things, and that's just like it's incredible to me because growing up, I didn't really. It's it's a side of my dad that I hadn't seen before, mm. um, and don't get me wrong, he always talked about D and D, and we actually got the board game, uh, and I found that a lot of fun. With the board game, it was a lot less RP and a lot more just action because there were specific rules to follow, uh, but it was a lot less complex than the kind of D and D that we play these days, which requires a lot more research. Um, and normally more people as well. So, yes, m m there's there's a very big difference between the way that you DM or Dungeon Master uh, and I Dungeon Master, because I mean, depending really... on the group of players, go on. Wait, I, I feel like we need to describe that term, because a lot of people who are listening to this aren't going to have... Um... Like maybe the firmest grasp on what like D and D actually entails. This is true. So, dungeon master, the person is essentially, if you were talking about a video game, um, they're essentially the computer. <laughs> they're the people who are controlling all of the people in the game that your characters are going to interact with. They're the people who keep track of the maps and where things are. Who kind of, if not completely plan out what's on the map then they know where everything is and can kind of keep an eye on where enemies are moving, where allies are moving, where things are located, you know, how difficult it is to accomplish a task and moderate things happening between the players. Um, yeah, just figured that that little background might have been necessary, but go on. You, yeah. Talking about the, the differences in how people DM. Yeah, so you, you get these very, very strict... Um, D&D &D games where 
everyone has played like three games of D and D before. And by the way, three games is a lot. All right, depending on how long they were, that can be like many years worth of playing. Um, where people know exactly what they're going to spec into when they level up. They know how best to deal with certain monstrosities. Um, and so quite often those groups follow very strict rules um, and they follow them to a T without deviating. And I think that makes the game kind of a bit two-dimensional because there's no creativity in um, following a set of rules. I like my players, if they want to do something bash it crazy, like say they're fighting um, a giant frog. If they just want to go up and hit it with an axe, that's fine, they can do that. I will reward them if they go, okay, this frog is, I don't know, uh, is, is, hates sand or something, and if they try and come up with some crazy mechanism, like dump several pounds worth of sand on top of this creature, <laughs> then I'll be like, holy shit, that's really cool. Uh, it's very creative. I'm going to give you the damage that you would have done, plus a little bit more, because now the thing's covered in sand. Maybe it's weighted down. Maybe it's stunned. Um, well, the more creative they get, may often the more difficult it is for them to pull off. But if they do pull it off, very cool. That that really is uh, going back to what I was saying about you know what it actually means to be in that. You know, DM role. Um, DM, I don't know if I said this, stands for Dungeon Master. Um, what it means to be in that role is essentially you're not only moderating the world and making sure that the rules and things happen, but it's your responsibility too to make sure that it's actually a vibrant, interesting, and rewarding world for the players. If the players act cleverly, they should be rewarded for that. And you got to find ways to do that without. <laughs> Honestly, being, being a DM is. It sounds a lot being like a responsible parents in a lot of ways <laughs> you, you can't you can't spoil your kids you gotta like give them a little bit you know reward mm. them when they do stuff good punish them when they do stuff bad but don't go overboard in either regard um i i'm thinking but you're right creative play um i'm thinking of examples and our friend jesse uh who dms the group that i i play in on every tuesday he had a there, there was a time the campaign we're in there is a zombie dinosaur, right? We find a dead dinosaur body. My character yeah. is immune to disease, and so he, like, I'm like, you know, I'm not afraid of this thing. We see something glowing in its stomach, and so I crawl in there to try and find it, at which point the thing starts moving. It's a zombie. It gets up, and yeah. he, at first he's like, all right, you got to roll something to try to get out of it or to try to stay up inside it, and I was like, no. I was like, I, what if I don't want to do that? I want to crawl into the dinosaur. And I don't want to try to, like, keep my balance. I want to try to lose my balance and, like, curl up into a ball. Because I'm, like, this heavily armored dude. So I basically was thinking, I want to be a pinball inside of this dinosaur. Right. And on the fly, like, he thought up, like, ways that he could re reward that creative play. And mm. that's that's the sign of, like, a good DM is when they can, like you're saying, your players do something yeah. interesting. Use the sand frog um example that's a really bad analogy i couldn't think of anything that frog would be that, that's that's why i pulled out like an anecdote from a game that i played because yeah it's it's an example you've got to find ways to 
not not necessarily mm. make your players feel clever, but recognize when they are being clever and you know reward them for it. Yeah, and sometimes punish them equally for it. Well, um, right. Yeah, when they do something absolutely retarded, <laughs> you've got you've got to kind of go like, okay, come on. I I think I told you about this, but um, recently I set uh, my party up against uh, an undead character. Hmm. And so it's very hard to kill an undead character without magic or, um, or like special silvered weapons. Yeah. <laughs> One of the characters in the game is like, I've got this pot of oil. I want to go up to the undead lich and just like smash it on its chest right in front of it in melee range <laughs> and then set fire to it in melee range. Yeah. That's. <laughs> a... so I was like, go on. <laughs> I see where this is going. No, go on. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, it's a pot of oil. It's going to go everywhere. And he was like, yeah, I want to do it. So by the end of the fight, he was on fire, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but it made for a brilliant moment, and I really appreciate the fact that he did actually go through with it. Because if you just hit it with magic missile yeah. over and over again, it's just a dead lich. I... <laughs> now it's got so much more flavor to it. I, I'm a big fan of the idea. And some... some I, I've said this a couple times in our recent sessions, because we... You know, play D and D together. I'm I'm DMing the game that we're in. Just for those listening, um, yeah. there are times. And you're a very good DM, I will th say. Th there's one thing that I, I commit myself to, and that's that I do not put invisible walls in my games. Like, no. there's there's never anything that well I will say a player absolutely cannot do unless it's something that's f physically impossible. Like a player can't just Mary Poppins think their way up to fly in the sky. But yeah. within reason, like, so if you want, if you're in, like, a, a royal meeting, right, and a king is talking to you, and you want to get up and just go, I'm bored now, and bitch slap him, you can do that, but there will be consequences. The party will hate me, but I could do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm thinking, of, but, again, I, I always leave that option for success in there, or try to, even in the most weird situations. Um perfect example is when you guys decided you wanted to rob the caravan that you were on yep. I threw a whole bunch of obstacles in there but there was an avenue to success a couple of them and you managed to finagle your way into a few and found ways out of that situation that I hadn't even thought of Indeed. Um, and I would say that was one of one of the greatest parts because I there was a lot of very tense moments where, you know when you're like a kid and you're um, sneaking downstairs to maybe nick a packet of crisps, uh, chips, or <laughs> thank, like a thank chocolate you for, bar from the sweet bin. Thank you for... Um, <laughs> Americanizing. Yeah, yeah. A uh, sweet bin would be a candy jar over here. Um, yeah, uh, and you're like, you know you're not meant to do it. Uh, and if you get caught, you'll be in trouble. The pure rush of like doing it that's exactly how it felt in the game because we were being a bit very naughty um, and if we'd been caught it would have been really bad for us. You stole but 17 the, uh, the grand thrill. from a merchant caravan, that's more than a little yeah. bit naughty. We got, we got loaded after that that was a great experience. Yeah. Um, but more recently to, to show just how there are no invisible walls in that campaign my character in the session before last has has now decided, look, I'm kind of, I've mean, had a lot of action, I want to learn how to, like, fish, and, like, maybe one day extreme fish, 
where I'm like chasing sea monsters kind of thing. And Kaiser had no idea I was going to be talking about this kind of thing. But he has incorporated it. And there may be something to do with that later down the line. Uh, and in the last session, he even incorporated us stealing from our own party. Uh, <laughs> which was quite a twist, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was very cool, I thought. I, the, yeah, and I, after all of those stutters that I just did, after all of those examples, though, I, this this brings me back to my my point that there's really the the difference I think I find between a really good DM and a really bad DM is a really like a, a good DM or somebody who's trying to be a good DM. They're somebody who will like let this like the the story will work around the players not necessarily work around but um the story will like live and grow organically around what the players do a bad dm has a story in mind and will try to force the players into that story the story stays the same shape and they try to squeeze the players into that shape hmm yeah, it's not it's not meant to be a linear path like a game. Like if if the games industry had unlimited budget and time, yeah. they would have like these vast, very complex games where you can take a path and it can lead you on a completely different story if you'd gone a different way. That's the uh, and that's the dream of video games though, is to have exactly. some one where you can actually get to the same level as uh what you get in a D and D campaign. There's a yeah. there's a certain level of like you have to have some imagination to play this sort of game. You have to have some ability to kind of picture oh, things because. You know, um, but I think also fine. even if you don't have imagination, after playing a few games, I feel like it's something that kind of helps. helps um, maybe helps build yeah. imagination. Yeah. I, I know when when I was going through um, when I was in school, uh, and there was the kind of idea that if you did drama. It would build your confidence. Yeah. Uh, for like speaking and things. And whilst I don't think that's. I don't really know many people where it actually helped them that much in that respect. Uh, well, maybe it did. I don't know. Um, yeah. I feel like this is the same kind of thing, except it's a lot less of a significant life change. Like, we do this once a week for a few hours. Yeah. Um, and I really do feel like it's healthy socially. Well, um, I, I, I've said this to you as well. Like, I, maybe not socially. You already know me, and we've mentioned this before. I, I'll talk. I'll talk to anybody. Oh yeah. Um, but, it, it, like, but that's always been the thing. But what it has helped me with is when I'm doing, um, like, for for work when I'm working on a project and I have like teams of people who are trying to do something. And um, I need to get a thought across clearly, concisely, and mm. like in, in a, a well-enunciated way. This, this definitely—I don't know if it necessarily helped improve those skills, but it definitely shook the cobwebs off after being trapped inside for six months. Right. Yeah. Maybe it um, makes you think a little bit more before yeah. speaking, kind of. Well, yeah, I've yeah. definitely found myself doing that a little bit more, having done this podcast, is I talk a little bit more slowly, believe it or not, as fast as I yeah. talk, even on this. Um, 
I talk a little bit more slowly and I think about what I'm saying. I try to organize my thoughts before I open my mouth. Go figure. Hmm. Yeah. Um, when I when I started this campaign that I'm running, hmm. not yeah, why I was pretty terrified because there was um, I'd been asked to do it by an old friend of mine, a good friend, and other than that good friend, there were going to be five other people who I'd never met. Strangers. Uh, in the end, it went down to four people I'd never met before, and then due to anyway. Yeah, don't go into um, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's these four people I've never met before, and I'm essentially when you talk about D and D, it's kind of like a, a guilty topic that someone you've never spoken to about before, because <laughs> you're always like, "Are they judging me because of this? I don't know. Maybe." Um, but yes, yeah, so I was very nervous, but after like the first session, I'd say, I was fairly fluent at talking to them. Um, go on. Wait, no, no, just when you were just describing that, it reminded me of... This is going to sound like a non-sequitur, but trust me that it isn't. Okay. There used to be these little, like, um, you know, funny things that would pop up in the Guitar Hero 2 and 3 loading screens... Yeah. Um, and one of them was the the uh, a band is the dysfunctional family that you choose and I in a lot of ways I feel like that's what most D&D player parties are like because mm -hmm. they really do if you play for long enough they develop their own like internal dynamic like this character is probably going to be doing this this character is probably going to be doing this they are they become almost like a dysfunctional family to yeah varying degrees of dysfunction yeah and there have been emotional moments for mm -hmm. sure um like uh, some some D&D campaigns don't really go into that i know the one that we have with um Kevin Jake and Duncan i don't think it's particularly i don't think it's particularly emotional well, not um, normally they're all dramatic moments I'm thinking of like the the parting with Professor Landy. Um, yeah, that was pretty sad. And anything to do with Butterbean, yep. very emotional. Yep, uh, that's true. There are um, you're right. There there are mostly dramatic moments, but even then, it has been punctuated with a few emotional ones. Hmm. Um, yes, you can you can certainly pick and choose whether you want if you want a horror D and D campaign. I know Jesse's trying his damnedest to do one of them right now. Yep, yep, uh, it yep. sounds like it's going pretty well, uh, although he's struggling uh, with certain aspects. Um, I was and, really curious yeah, I, how that would go, because I know the, the two people he's doing it for. There are, there are two other friends of mine from college. Mm. and um, they Picturing them playing in, in that kind of a campaign would be... Uh, I don't know, it's... it's I, I'm trying to get a picture of it in my head, but I can't. <laughs> Yeah, um, but no, I'm, I'm I'm very happy with the way that things are going in in both the campaign that I'm in and the one that I'm hosting. Mm. Um, and I, I do genuinely look forward to it at the end of the week. It's um, I don't look forward to having like a super rough voice the next day because I've been doing <laughs> all these all the talking, yeah, weird voices, yeah. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's always awkward for the first. Uh, 20 minutes or so where everyone's kind of warming back into it. Mm. Everyone's like, okay, what do I actually have to do? 
but once they set out, everything kind of clicks back together, and it's a lot more cohesive. Uh, so much so that I often forget to have like a half-time break, and I'm the worst for that. Well, uh, it's it's funny. Um, we we talk about this. You get into these little like projects that you really enjoy. DMing is is one of them. I I definitely feel that way for um about mm. the, the game that I'm running. Um, the other one, I mean, this this podcast is a perfect example. So, for I don't know if I've mentioned it before, we record these on Saturdays, and we have D and D right after this, the campaign that I'm hosting, and um, and so <laughs> my Saturdays are very very busy because I have to I prep for this and then I prep for the D and D campaign, and that's my morning. Um, and then we jump right into the podcast. We finish that, and then we jump right into D and D. And then it's like mid afternoon or late afternoon by that point. And uh, yeah, but the thing is, you—if it's fulfilling, if you get the enjoyment out of it, like, I mean, I can tell from what you've said about the campaign that you're on or the campaign that you're running, if it's if it's enjoyable, if it's fulfilling to you, hell yeah, just fucking do it. Mm. Um, yeah, I think a lot of for people out there who haven't who have been thought thinking about doing D and D but haven't really got got the um, the drive to do it. Uh, I would say it's definitely best to start out playing it with people that you know. Don't go into a random lobby um, yeah. because the best things come from. Like an inside joke, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly the way to start out, anyway. Um, it's a great way to make on on like Roll Twenty is a website yeah. where people play D and D. It's a good way to find friends later on. But <laughs> <laughs> to start out, yeah, I'd recommend just a small group, uh, maybe someone who's DM'd before, because then it's just a little bit easier to get into the flow of things sooner on. Um, and yeah, just don't don't pay too much heed to rules. If you think something's um, makes sense in your head, then just go with that. Like, yeah. don't worry about. That. I know the combat at the beginning. I paid very little attention to the rules of combat because I didn't have it sussed in my head at the time um, so I was like okay uh, I think the very first attack that someone made was not even in combat they just were like throwing a javelin down the street and I just kind of fudged it and they still had to roll for it still had there was that chance that they would miss but yeah it's a uh... that's that's a good point to make is that even like when um even if you're making like house rules or like fudging things or like not quite getting things by the book um it's important that if you're the dm and even as the player it's important that things are fair like that the rules are fairly applied i made this mistake pretty early on uh dming um i tried doing a little campaign and in my mind i was applying things fairly i was setting like difficulties and stuff in my head and uh, apparently, like, w- one of the players felt very much that I was kind of acting against them, like being mm-hmm. a uh, deus ex machina to prevent them from succeeding. Um, 
So it's it's something, but it's it's a two way street. Like the nothing like people who you, you'll get the most enjoyment playing a game like D and either playing as a player or playing as a DM. If you recognize the fact that it's it's not a hard and fast set of rules, it's not a solidified um, edifice that has to be adhered to on either side. Um, it's all a negotiation. Mm. And we, we like being told, or at least I, I think I speak for guys when I say, we like being surprised as a DM. We don't generally oh. <laughs> want everything to be the same. That's half the that's fun. that's for us as well. That's yeah. half the fun of being a DM is watching some of the kooky, stupid shit that your players will get up to. Yeah. I'll, uh, as much work as that caravan robbery was for me on the back end, um, it was so much fun to watch what the hell you guys were doing. Yeah. Because uh, if the players are having a good time, we're having a good time, essentially. Yeah. We don't want to kill your characters. <laughs> um, but it could happen. Yeah, it, it's kind of a popular ideology because, you know, we're the ones that make the bad guys. We essentially run the evil corporations. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, it's just as saddening to us, for us, because there have been times where I've like halfway through a combat and I'm suddenly like, oh my god, what have I done? I, this is terrible. They're gonna die. What have I done? <laughs> but then they find a way to get through it. Mm. And then I'm literally like, oh, fucking relief. Thank god. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. Alright. We're, we're kind of like, I feel like we're, we're running up on the end of this thing here. We're, we're kind okay, of yeah. rehashing a few points over and over. So, end it off strong. I, I want you and me to both think of your favorite D&D moment as a DM and as a player. Uh, mine as a DM is easy. It was uh, it was the caravan thing. <laughs> like that, that, that just doesn't broker argument. I've already talked plenty about it. So you, as yeah. a DM, favorite moment. Oh, um, okay. Oh, God. I, I, I really got... Uh, shit. If you don't have um, anything right now, I can go into my favorite moment as a player, because I have it prepared. Well, okay, so I have quite a few moments that I really love, but... Um, there's one where the, the, the characters in my party, it was an emotional moment, mm -hmm. and one of the people said just out of game I'm really attached to this right now they were like I, I'm so in the game right now it's such an emotional moment it's almost making me like cry IRL oh god um, and like in happiness yeah 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 uh, and that was really fulfilling to me I was like oh my god I'm when you realize I'm doing the, a damn good job yeah when you realize <laughs> the players have really they've gotten into the game to that extent I can see yeah, that. that that's my favorite moment. As as a player, um oh God, I thought I had one, but then I thought of another one. This is really difficult to describe. <laughs> I'm just gonna describe yeah. one moment that I really liked. Um so we were we were in a cave of some kind. And this is it's it's a moment in combat. We found this dragon. Dragon's attacking one of my teammates and who has like no, pretty much no combat abilities they're a support kind of character they have a musical instrument not that many weapons a couple very weak spells i'm playing a monk that can basically 
attack four times a turn. The dude is like can use fists in the same way that most people can use knives. Really powerful character. So I jump on the dragon's neck and literally ride the thing around like donkey punching it in the back of the head to get it off mm. like my teammate. And it drags me underwater, but the monk like doesn't need to breathe the same way because he's got this special training or whatever. So I continue to just punch the hell out of it underwater <laughs> while the rest of the team is just up top trying to figure out what to do to hit this thing. Yeah. Uh, there's there's a lot of moments yeah. like like that in games. You that that's the thing. There, what you'll find playing these games is that, like you said, the games can go on for years. Yeah. Uh, depending on how frequently you do sessions. Yeah, I mean, your Jesse one's been going like three years, hasn't it? Two and a half now, yeah. Or a little over two. Yeah. I think we just passed the two-year mark. Okay. Um, started in 2018. But we do it every Tuesday night, only for like an hour and a half. So it's, mm. you know, with some some weeks skipped. But you'll, you'll My... end up with these, like, <laughs> these anecdotes that are unique to that party and that game that you'll tell each other. Mm. Anyway. Go on. Favorite moment is. I was just gonna say my my favorite uh, part in game, and I know it's kind of getting repetitive now, but during the the heist segment of of the campaign that you're running, um, I remember every day, like outside of the game, uh, so I was like at work, and it it wasn't particularly. I didn't have to do much thinking at my workplace, and so I was just going over possibility after possibility of what I could do how I could get the most out of the scenario I was really thinking hard about it um, <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I spent that much time thinking about my um, IRL, you know, job prospects um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had so many different plans and so I was really excited around that time So that's got to be my favourite um, in-game character moments Honestly, that that, was that outside of the game <laughs> that adds to my experience knowing that like it actually had you that compelled. Oh yeah. Well, we've actually. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap it off on. Uh, hopefully, yep. you enjoyed that. We kind of ventured into a very specific, very niche topic this segment three. But again, that's what segment three is supposed to do. It's a, it's meant to be a wild card. It's meant to be an indulgence. So hopefully, you enjoyed mm -hmm. it. But. Regardless, thank you for listening if you made it this far. Uh, this is the end of the podcast altogether. Episode 9. Uh, next week we'll be back with episode 10. Um, yeah, thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs>